We'll grab a Bible and turn to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And uh, it's good to see you this morning. It's great to hear you sing and, and worship our great God. We are, we're starting a new series today that I'm calling uh, The Good Life. And uh, we're going to spend... We're going to spend six weeks in the 23rd Psalm. And, and the reason why we're going to do that is because uh, the 23rd Psalm really gives us a portrait of the goodness of God. And uh, we're going to be focusing uh, on that theme uh, for this entire series. And so, um, you know, um, you know if, you've been to, if you've been to church for, you know, a few years, you've probably been to a service where the pastor or the worship leader would say, you know, God is good. And everybody says... Yeah, and then the, and then the pastor, pastor worship leader says all the time, and then everybody says, you know, God is good. And so, you know, the question that I have with that is, is that really true? Is God really good all the time? What, what about when you're like stressed out? What like when you're depressed? Is God good when you or someone you love is suffering or hurting? I think another way to ask the question would be, you know, how do, I, how do I know that God is good when I don't feel it and the circumstances in my life don't seem to reveal it or demonstrate it? That's the question we're going to try to answer in this series. You know, one of the things that I've, I've said in the past, and, you know, I'll probably come back to it, um, it's, this, it's just the reality that's, that is us. Uh, when you talk about this is us, this is really what we're made up of. And that is, we're very skeptical of the goodness of God. We're deeply skeptical of it. We just have this tendency to believe that God is holding out. And I, could, I can make the case that the root of every sin is really unbelief. We just, we just are slow to believe or we don't believe at all that God is really good. We, we, we're just suspicious that he's holding out on us. He's not quite for our goodness. And I think if you go to, if you go to Adam and Eve and, I, and you, you, know, you look at you know, you know, their, their rebellion into sin, I think at the heart of what was driving that was as God was telling them, you could eat of every tree in the garden except this one tree. I think that they thought God was holding out on them that God really wasn't good. And I think they came to a place of believing they could acquire for themselves what is good for them apart from God. And I think we do the same thing. And I think behind every one of our sins is an unbelief you know, in God's goodness and a belief in our ability to secure that goodness. And I think that that's where the, the enemy attacks us. I think he comes right at us at that point. I think he tries to, to get us to doubt the goodness of God, to abandon faith in the goodness of God. And I think he tries to build us up thinking we can do it. We can, we can acquire that which is good in our own life. I think he tries to blind us to the goodness of God. And I think he tries to bind us from the goodness of God. He doesn't want us to see God's goodness and he wants to pin us down and hold us down so we're not walking in the goodness of God every day. Does that make sense? And that's why we're doing this series. And my prayer in this series and even early this morning is 
for God to help us to see his goodness and for God to help us walk in that goodness every single day. The thing that I know is when I, when I forget the goodness of God, what I, what I do is I just stop asking God for help. You know, when, I, when, I, when I'm not aware of God's love for me and God's blessing in my life and I'm not dwelling on that and thinking about that and occupying my heart and my mind with that, I stop asking God for help every day. And that's just what I do. I, I think if it's going to be, it's up to me. I believe that I can, I can go out and, and secure it for myself. And so, so I just stop praying altogether. I stop praying the promises of God. I stop looking to God as my source because I think I'm the, I'm the source. And, and not only that, but when I forget the goodness of God, I really stop trusting God. So not only am I not asking for help, I've come to this place where I'm not trusting or believing him anymore. So then when life does get heavy and hard, I get really discouraged and I refuse to believe in the goodness of God. Now that's a problem. And here's what I know, church. Even when life is hard, God is good. And even when life is bad, God is good. That's just the truth. And I know that, that many of you, many in our, in our church family are walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now. And I just want you to know God's goodness in the midst of that. You, you know, there's not, there's not a single place in Scripture not one verse from Genesis to Revelation that answers the why question of suffering in this world. We never get the why. We, we never get the reason behind it. There's not one example of, of that. We, we, we just don't see, we, you know, we just don't see, you know, you've, you've lost your job. Why, God? You know, you've, you've lost a a friendship. Why, God? You know, you've lost your health. Why? There, there's not a single occurrence in, in Scripture where we get the, the reason why behind it. We don't get it from Job. We don't get it from Paul. We don't get it from Jesus. And what we want more than anything is the reason. But I would submit to you that we that reasons don't bring comfort to us. The answer to the why question doesn't comfort us. It's the who question that comforts us. And the who is Jesus Christ. Because one of the things that we know is, we know that what God is going to do, he's, you know, you know, he's not done telling his story. So, so scripture is the story of God. It's, it's the story of God pursuing us and chasing us. You know, he created and we chose to rebel against him. And then there's this, this section of scripture that does, re, does with redemption, that deals with redemption. And then, then there's the section of scripture, of the story of scripture, that focuses on the restoration of all things. The new heaven and new earth. That there's going to be a day when God remakes all of this. When he lifts the curse and, 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 and he blesses us with his his presence and goodness, and we'll see him face to face in a new heaven and new earth. You know, in this past week, we, you know, uh, a Stones member of ours, Larry Krause, passed away. And, and so I, 
had the privilege of doing the funeral and I just, you know, shared with the family that, you know, there's going to be a day where there's no more tears, no more dying, no more disease and no more pain. And we asked the question, what is that? That is the goodness of God. That's the goodness of God. And it gets even better because you don't have to wait until the new heaven and new earth to know God's goodness in your life. We can see it right from Psalm 23. And that's, that's what we want to really be focusing on over the next few weeks. So, so that's my prayer. That's my heart for all of us as we walk through this. Now, I, I absolutely love Psalm 23. We're going to read it in just a minute. Uh, but I want to just give you a little bit of, uh, you know, just uh, thought about the structure of Psalm 23. It is, it's really a portrait of the goodness of God. And uh, it's built on a very simple structure. And the structure runs all the way throughout. It's kind of the framework where he's hanging this picture on, okay? And the, and the structure the structure is really simple. You find it in the first verse, but it runs all the way through. And the structure is this. The Lord is, and I shall. The Lord is, and I shall. It's that simple structure that runs all the way through. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall have everything I need. You know, the Lord is my shepherd and I will find rest in a weary land. The Lord is my shepherd and my shepherd will guide me. You know, the Lord is my shepherd and I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil. Um, The Lord is my host. He'll give me everything that I need. You know, the Lord is my host. The Lord is my friend and I'll spend all of eternity with him. That's that's what we get in in this Psalm 23. So we're gonna... We're going to take some weeks and we're going to unpack uh, each one of these and, and really make some applications for us. And so, uh, so what I want to just invite you to do, I want you to invite, if you're willing and able, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God today as we look at, at this psalm in a very fresh, hopefully, way. Let's, let's read this. A psalm of David. David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows and surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not God's word. It stands forever. You may be seated. All right, so what is going on in this? What I want us to do is kind of zero in on that first verse, and we'll, we'll kind of look at uh, the second verse uh, a little bit today, and we'll, we'll dig into it even a little bit uh, significantly next week. But, but what does he say? He says, very simply, he begins this uh, Beautiful psalm with this, the Lord is and I shall. And the first one that he gives us, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, what's he talking about there? He's really talking about contentment. He's talking about contentment in life. And so what I think he does, even in this first verse and the first couple of verses, he really packs a lot in there. And so what I've been able to kind of extrapolate out of this is really this, what is contentment? What is it? I think he answers it. I think he answers the question, where does contentment come from? And then how can I find contentment today? 
All right, so that's where we're going. Let's look at this first one. What is contentment? He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. He says, I, I, have, I lack no good thing. I have all that I need. I'm good. I don't need anything. I have everything that I need. That's what he's saying. I mean, it's just a, it's just a beautiful portrait of, of what contentment is. Now, before I def define contentment, uh, let, me, let me just tell you what contentment is not, all right? Because I think, I think we need clarity on what it's not because, you know, the, the, the word is, is loaded with, with maybe some false impressions. I think contentment is not denying the hurt and disappointment in your life. That is not contentment. Contentment is not denying the hurt and disappointment in your life. David is not saying here that he has a trouble-free life. He's not saying that. And all you have to do is read the account of David's life to know that. And what you have, we have 150 Psalms in, in the Old Testament. And what you have is you have different types of Psalms. You have obviously Psalms of praise. You have Psalms of confidence which is what Psalm 23 is. And then there are Psalms of lament. And Psalms of lament are the largest category uh, of Psalms that we have. And in the Psalms of lament, you have David and other authors really getting real and raw with God. And they are pushing back on the circumstances that God has allowed in their life. And they're pushing back in the form of lament and complaint. And they're beautiful. And they're necessary. Do you know why they're necessary? Because there are times in your life and in my life when we need to push back as well on God. And the good news of the gospel in the Psalms is God is big enough to handle your complaints. He's big enough. You know, David doesn't like everything that's going on in his life. You know, we look at David as some, you know, kind of moral example to us, some kind of hero of the faith. He had a hard life. He lost his first wife. He lost his infant son. His daughter was raped and his son, one of his sons was murdered. And there's not a single point in, in the Old Testament where, or in the Psalms where David says, man, praise God, I just love all this stuff happened to me, man. Everything's just great. Not one time. That's not contentment. Contentment is not, you know, denying what's, what's hard in your life. And I think, I think we have to understand that. We have to be real about that. And uh, so we live in a fallen, broken world and there are circumstances that are heavy and hard for us that we'll have to carry. Now, uh, there's, a, there's a second part of this. Contentment is not settling, you know, for, for things in your life that are less than they should be. You know, David was a, there were parts of him that were broken, just like me and just like you. And instead of holding David up to be this model, this example of faith, in reality, he's, he's just kind of right with us. I mean, he's just thrown in, you know what I'm saying? He's one of us because he's a broken sinner just like we are. 
But what I love about David is he doesn't settle for that. He doesn't settle for the brokenness in his life. He doesn't, you know, he, he has a holy discontent with the areas in his life that are, that are not where they should be. And what you see is he's leaning in on God, asking God to change him, to work in him, to deliver him. That's exactly where you and I need to be as well. So that's just briefly what contentment is not. Now, what, what is contentment? Well, I, think, I do think he gives us a picture of this. Let me, let me just show it to you again. This is verse one and two. So, so he says, David is my, or the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still water. So, so what is he doing there? He's, he's shaping the picture of what contentment looks like. He says, it's lying down in green pastures. Uh, it's leading me beside still waters. Now, I've, you all, I've never raised sheep, okay? So um, never done that. But, you know, there are a lot of different books about, and then the commentaries talk a lot about, um, you know, just the parallels between shepherding and, and, you know, the Christian life and how we're like sheep and, you know, God is our shepherd and everything. So the, the parallels are absolutely uncanny. Do you know that there are four conditions uh, that have to be met for sheep to lie down. Four, all right? One of them is this. If they feel like, if, if, a, you know, if a sheep feels in danger or threatened, they're not gonna lie down. They're just not. Like if there's a lion or like right over there, they're not gonna just, hey, let's just chill and relax right here. You know, it's all good. They're not gonna do that. Uh, they wanna feel safe and secure. Uh, the other thing is they will not lie down if insects are irritating them. And we're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Insects would get into the ears and nostrils of a sheep and just drive the sheep crazy, just irritate them to no end. Uh, and it would just bother them to, uh, you know, like crazy. The other thing is this, they're not going to lie down if they are budding with other sheep. So if they're in conflict with other sheep, they're not going to lie down in the, in the, green, in the green pastures. Doesn't that sound like a lot like people? You know, when you're scared and you're anxious, how content are you? You know, when, you, when other people are irritating you to no end, how can, it's hard to be content, isn't it? You know, when you're in conflict with someone and you're butting heads with them, you're really not very, you're not very contented, are you? You see some of the parallels there? But there's another condition that has to be met uh, for sheep to lie down. They're not going to lie down if they're hungry or thirsty. So sheep's not going to do that. Now I have a, I have a little dog. His name is Cooper. And I should have brought a picture of him. Uh, he's a Maltese. He's eight pounds. He is, he's the coolest dog in the world. So um, I know when Cooper is hungry. Because you know what? He scavenges the entire, I mean, he's like on a search. He just starts looking for food everywhere. And he gets up into our couch and he gets into the, you know, the crease between the two separate pillows and he looks for crumbs and he gets down in there and tries to, to lick it up. And, and that's just a sure sign that he is hungry. And uh, that's exactly what sheep do. Uh, they're not going to lay down, you know, if, if, uh, if they're hungry or thirsty. And, you know, I was thinking that's very similar to us, isn't it? You know, the reason why we're not content is because we're always believing what the world tells us that we need this or we need that in order to be satisfied. And isn't the world always telling us that? They're always telling us that we need something else that we don't have. 
you know, the latest fashions or a little bit more money or, you know, a little bit more, you know, 15 minutes of fame, you know, or just a few hundred more Instagram followers or whatever. We, we need certain things in order to be satisfied and it never gets there. Isn't that interesting? And we're always believing it and we're always pursuing it. And it just leaves us empty and restless because what we're trying to do is secure the good life that the world would have us to secure. And it just leaves us drained. And uh, I was reading about this guy, Tom York. He's the front man for the band Radiohead. And uh, he just shared, he was just really honest. And, and this is what he said. I'm quoting him. He says, uh, I thought when I got to where I wanted to be, everything would be different. Isn't that how it goes? You know, if, oh man, the grass is greener on the other side. If I could just get to the other side, man, everything would be different. He says, he says I thought everything would be different if I got to where I wanted to be. Uh, you know, I, I'd be somewhere else. I thought it would be white, fluffy clouds. And then I got there. And I'm still there. And then the interviewer kind of pressed him and said, well, why have you done what you've done? And he replied, well, it's filling the hole in my heart. That's what anyone does, just fills the hole in their heart. And then the interviewer said, well, what happens to the hole? And after a long pause, uh, York said this, it's still there. It's still there. He has everything that the, that the world tells us we need to have in order to have the good life. And he's still not there. Kevin Durant, the NBA all-star, uh, he was interviewed by ESPN. And uh, during the season, he was getting a lot of technical fouls. He was getting ejected from games, you know, just uh, uncharacteristically, but it was pretty consistent in that season. And so one of the interviewers asked him, what, what's going on? And he said this, he says, quote, it's just my emotions and passion for the game. After winning the championship, I learned that much hadn't changed. I thought it would fill a certain void, and it didn't. Now, what you have is you have two guys that are living the good life. The world told them what they needed to do. They were able to do it, and they gave themselves to, 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 to it, and they're still empty, and they're discontent and dissatisfied. And here you have the shepherd of Israel, David, saying, I found the secret. Contentment is real. I found the source. So what is, what is contentment? Contentment is this. It's just confidence that God will provide what I need. That's what it is. It's just confidence that God will provide what I need. And I can rest in that confidence. It's just, it's just walking in faith. You know, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the flies, in the midst of the friction of life, God's going to give me everything that I need. I'm good. What would happen in your life? What would happen in mine if we were more content with the money that God has given us, with the stuff that God has given us, with the family that God has given us? What if we just said, God, you're good. You, you are so good. You've provided this. I'm just going to enjoy it and rest in it. I think it'd be life-changing. So that's what contentment is. It's that confidence that you know, that God will provide what I need. So where does it come from? Like, if that's what it is, how did David get to the secret? And then the guy from Radiohead and Kevin Durant, they, they can't get to it. What, where does it come from? Well, it doesn't come from within us. 
All right, I know what Oprah's told you, but she's wrong on that one, right? Uh, it doesn't come from within us. And it doesn't come from ideal circumstances. And I think that's where we get tripped up. We think if circumstances were X, Y, and Z, then I would be content. Then I'd be happy. But have you noticed circumstances never get to X, Y, and Z for any length of time? And so where does it come from? Well, this is what David says. I shall not want. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm content. Why? The Lord is shepherding me. I have every confidence in him. What, What David is saying in this psalm is a person is the source of his contentment. And that person is God. He is confident in the goodness of God. You know, David, you know, before he became king of Israel, he was a shepherd. He, he, was, he was a shepherd in his, you know, uh, for his parents, and he was the youngest of uh, several boys, so his job was uh, shepherding the sheep. And so he, under, I mean, he understands all of this. I mean, he's been there, done that. He understands that the well-being of the sheep is 100% dependent on the shepherd. Like all of the sheep, their well-being, their total well-being is completely dependent on how good the shepherd is. So if the shepherd is strong and capable and committed, the sheep are going to flourish. But if the shepherd is weak and the the shepherd is not very committed and he's, he's really not capable, then guess who suffers? The sheep do. And and what David is saying here is the Lord is my shepherd. In all of his strength, in all of his love, in all of his goodness, it's the Lord that shepherds me. And my confidence is in him. That word Lord in in Hebrew, is it's it's literally the word Yahweh. And it's it's the name for God. And so if you remember back in Exodus, uh, when God was revealing himself to Moses, you know, he, Moses said, who are you? And he said, Yahweh, I am who I am. And so it just means this, that I'm the self-existent one. I've always existed. I, you know, uh, my purposes, my actions, my existence are determined by, by no, other, uh, no other thing or no other person. That's who David's shepherd is, the almighty one. So another way of saying it would be the, the God that, that spoke the, all of creation into being, the God that holds all of creation together by the power of his word, that's the God who is my shepherd. That's what David is saying. That's where his contentment comes from. Now, here's the kicker to all of that. Uh, if you want a kicker, here it is. Um, you know, as confident as David is, in his shepherd, we have reason to be even more confident than David was. All right, let me, let me show you what I mean. In Psalm 23, who is the shepherd that David is talking about? Who is it? It's the Sunday school answer to every question. You can say it. Jesus, right? Jesus is the shepherd. He's who 
everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. And what he's talking about, David didn't even know Jesus, but the shepherd of Israel is Jesus. And here's the thing, church, you and I, we know Jesus. Jesus has revealed himself to us in the cross, in his death, and in his resurrection. We know our shepherd, his name is Jesus. Now let me just show you this from John 10, 11. So Jesus is speaking to a group of religious leaders. He knows that they know the Old Testament backward and forward. He knows that. He knows they know every inch of it. He knows that the way that God revealed himself to the people of Israel is through this imagery of being a shepherd. So all the way from Genesis to Malachi, God revealed himself to his people as saying, I am your shepherd and I guide you and I will provide for you. So Jesus knows that's who he's talking to. And then he lays this on them. He says this in verse 11 of John 10, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, do you know what Jesus is doing there? He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the shepherd of Israel. A little bit later on, if you read in in that uh, chapter, verse 33, uh, they are enraged at what he said. And they, want, they picked up stones to stone him because what he was saying was blasphemous. And he is, he is laying it on the line. Now, what he's telling us is that Jesus is the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. And Jesus is not only the good shepherd, but Jesus as the good shepherd does the one thing we need him to do. And what is that? We need him to lay down his life for us. You know why? Because we, sin, we are sinners and we need a savior and we cannot save ourselves. And that's what he says. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep, his, play, his life instead of ours. And what you have is a, you have a picture of the goodness of God there because what you have is God rescuing us when we are lost in our rebellion, in our sin. The shepherd goes to find us and the shepherd leads us home. Does that make sense? And that is the heart of his goodness. I was reading about this lady, um, Mary McLaurin, and uh, she has an unusual uh, physical condition it's called developmental topographical disorientation. All right, you can call it DDT for short, all right? Um, and here's, here's Mary's condition. She is not able, for whatever reason, they don't know a cause, she's not able to make a mental map of her physical surroundings. So wherever she is, she, she really has no orientation to where other things are in relation to her. So she, she doesn't have an internal compass. And here's how she describes it. She says this, I was staying at a friend's house and I decided to walk their dog, Otis. As I, as I started back to the house, I had no idea where I was. I was only blocks from where I started my walk, but I was completely lost, she says. Fear and adrenaline just pulsed through my veins and I began to sweat profusely. My surroundings looked completely unfamiliar, she says. It was though I'd been dropped in the middle of a foreign country. I hadn't written down the address of the home where I was staying. Walking any direction would just be a guess. Would I be getting closer or would I be getting farther away? You know, would I have to knock on someone's door and use their phone to call the police? 
And how could I even expect them to return me to a place if I didn't even have the address to provide for them? And so she says this, there was, there's no brain tumor associated with this. There's no, it's not related to stroke. She didn't have a head trauma or anything. It's just, she says this, those struggling with this disorder are often left feelings, you know, feeling anxious, depressed, and isolated and living in self-doubt. Now, the good news is she was able to find someone to lead her home. And I was thinking about that and I thought, man, that is why David is so confident in the goodness of God, isn't it? Because there was a day when he was lost in sin. And what did the good shepherd do? Led him back home. That's what he's done for us. We were lost, but now we've been found. And that's at the heart of God's goodness. And so, so that's what the good shepherd does. And that's where contentment comes from. So I think then the last question would be, all right, how can I start walking in contentment? I mean, how do I find it? You know what I mean? How does this become a daily reality for me? Let me just give you three very practical ways, all right? Here's the first thing. You need to stop following other shepherds. You need to stop following other shepherds. David says in verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord and the Lord alone is my shepherd. Church, there's some of you, you've got to give up these other shepherds you're following. You know, the e-harmony shepherd? If I can just get a boyfriend, if I can just get a girlfriend, then my life will be content. Don't bet on it. Then there's the, you know, the diet shepherd. If I can just lose 10 pounds, then I'm good. Oh, my life would be great. I'd be so content with that. Don't bet on it. There's the tech shepherd. A lot of guys love the tech shepherd. It's the latest technology, right? It's, it's Apple this, Apple that, you know, Apple watch, iPhone, you know, Apple underwear, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, we got to have the latest thing, right? Oh, the big one, the approval shepherds. Oh, we just, if we just find, you know, if we just follow the approval shepherds, they will lead us to affirmation and acclaim. And if I can just please my boss, if I can just please my coach, if I can just please my parents, if I can just please whoever, then I'll be happy. Don't believe it. Some of you need to give those up. You need to leave them behind. They're not worth following. They just lead you off a cliff. They're just hired hands looking out for themselves. So stop following other shepherds. I think the second thing is if, if you want to find contentment, you need to ask Jesus to be your shepherd. And you need to ask him every day. It's not just a one-time ask. It's an every morning ask. And the problem is, church, is we go to bed every night and we know who we are, but we wake up in the morning and we've already forgotten again. And we need to be reminded we're sheep following the shepherd. And so what we need to do is get on the side of our bed, kneel at our bed, get on the floor, I don't know, wherever, and say, Jesus, will you be my shepherd today? What do shepherds do? They feed and lead and meet needs, don't they? What do you need Jesus, your shepherd, to do for you? Besides saving you, he will feed you and lead you and meet your needs. You know what? I've I'm, I'm, I'm got an appointment today. I need to close this sale. Jesus, will you be my shepherd? Will you feed me and lead me and meet my need? 
I've got a parent-teacher conference today. Jesus, be my shepherd, feed and lead and meet my need today. The boss has called me in his office. I'm kind of nervous about this. Jesus, be my shepherd today. You know, we've got a doctor's appointment. Jesus, I need you to be my shepherd. And, and so contentment comes not from relying on ourselves, but contentment comes from relying, relying on the shepherd. And that's when our eyes are open to the goodness of God. You, you remember when you were a kid? Do you remember, you know, when you were, you know, you'd go to, your parents took you to Kings Island or they took you to Disney World or took you hiking in a state park. And about halfway through the day, your leg, your little legs got tired of walking, right? And what did you ask your, you know, your mom or dad to do? Will you carry me? That's all, that's all this is. Jesus, you're my shepherd. Will you carry me? Because I can't do this anymore. Third, I think we need to eat and drink what the good shepherd provides. He leads us into green pastures, lush pastures where there's plenty of food for the sheep to eat. And he leads us beside still waters. He doesn't lead us beside rough waters where there's, you know, current and rapids and white water. The sheep can't drink out of that. He leads us beside the still waters. What in the world, what in the world are the green pastures and the still waters that the good shepherd provides? Well, I think there is an indicator. This is from John 6. This is an interesting passage. Look at what Jesus says. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink, as opposed to what's not true, right? Like the food that we're going to go eat in a few minutes. That's not true food. What Jesus is saying is my flesh and my blood are real food, are satisfying food. That's what satisfies you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. And so, so what brings us satisfaction is nothing less than the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's the source of satisfaction. And, you know, people push back on him on this. Just like maybe some of you are pushing back. You know, this is a hard saying, some of the disciples and some of the religious leaders say. This is a hard saying. Who can understand what he's saying? Is he talking about actually eating flesh and blood? Is that what he's saying? No, because he explains it. If the Spirit, it is the Spirit who gives life, The flesh is no help at all. So you know he's speaking metaphorically right there. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. What Jesus is saying is the way that God provides food and drink for us that satisfies is through his word. Through taking in the word of God. That's what satisfies us. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about that the water and grass of life is the very word that comes from the mouth of God. Even Jesus said that, right? That men and women don't live by bread alone, but, but on what? Every, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Church, what we need is we need to feed off God's word. Now, how do you do that? What does that really look like just practically? Well, let me, let me just give you four practical ways. I think, I think one way to feed from the good shepherd, um, the feed on his word, is just reading the word regularly. 
just getting into it consistently, you know, getting a reading plan so that it's kind of already decided and you just make a commitment, you're going to bring your heart and your mind and you're going to open the word and feed by reading it. It's a great way to do it. I, I use an app. It's a new app called Dwell. And uh, they read the Bible out loud to you and they have it broken down into reading plans. And so I just get, you know, I get a free moment, put headphones in and, you know, uh, they read a couple of chapters to you and it's just really cool. And uh, it's a great way to get the word in. I think another way to, to really feed off the word of God is just meditating. You know, in the world, meditating is just emptying your mind, but with in our relationship with God with Scripture, we fill our mind with Scripture, right? That's what meditation is. You just think about it over and over and over again. I think another way to feed off the Word is just memorizing it. You know, getting it where you're carrying it with you. It's in your mind, but it's also in your heart. And then, and then lastly, just studying the Word. Just studying God's Word, spending time with it. You're like, how in the world do I do that? You know what you could do? One way to do it is you could just take the book of Philippians. It has four chapters. You could just outline it. Just take those four chapters, read them through a few times, and then just write out your own outline of the flow of it. And there's something that happens when you take, you know, pencil and paper and you, and you outline it and you're thinking about it and you're, you know, you're following the flow of it is, is that flow starts to transform you. And really, that's at the heart of what the word is about. It's not, church, it's not information, it's transformation. It's soul food is what it really is. It's food for your soul. And the goal is not that, you know, we master it. It's really letting it master us. Let Jesus, the word, master us. And so, why? Why would we do that? Well, but it's in the word that the shepherd is revealed to us. That we're reminded of his love and his care, his presence and his goodness. We feed off that every day. That's it. Now I've got even more good news for you. We get to feed on it this morning through the Lord's Supper. And I'm just gonna invite our, uh, I'm gonna invite our, servers to begin making preparations. And we're gonna receive, you know, unleavened bread and cups of grape juice as symbols of the food and drink, the spiritual food and drink that God has provided through, through his son. And I just want you to just take a minute as they're preparing, let's prepare our own hearts. Let's bow our heads in prayer and let's just take a minute and pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you that you are the shepherd. We have everything we need. God, we give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. And we just, our prayer today is that you would feed us. We gather in your presence. We confess our hunger and thirst. Lord, we profess that you alone satisfy. 
that you alone are good and you fill your children with good things. And so God, I pray that in this moment, you would fill us up, that we would eat your flesh and drink your blood. And so we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.